Good morning and welcome to the BSA Capital 5 Minute Morning Minor on Monday the 7th of February. Uh, so we have China all back at work after their lunar holiday. Uh, and I think that's probably going to help commodity prices stay strong. Uh, there's one week to go till Valentine's Day. Don't forget to go and buy a card this week uh, so that you don't get into trouble. Um, and Paul, how are you this morning? I'm quite well, thank you. How are you? Um, yeah, not too bad. It's Monday morning. It wasn't a bad weekend, although England blew it against Scotland. But if you're a Scottish person, then you're pretty quite happy. But there you go. Yeah, and they beat the USA in curling overnight, too, so <laughs> at the Olympics. Well, that was Team GB beat yeah. a combination of England and Scotland and Wales, Yeah, but not Northern Ireland. Uh, it's always very confusing, I think, for international people, the difference between the UK and Great Britain. And, That's uh, right. Yeah. You don't know exactly who's getting represented each time. Correct. Anyway, let's turn to uh, uh, to the, the mining news this morning. Uh, let's start off uh, Iconic Rare Earths, that is the Shanghai Mining Club, uh, which is an affiliate company of SA Capital, uh, has got some news out today, hasn't it? Yes, they do. A release of Tranche 5 assay results uh, from their uh, Uganda uh, Rare Earths uh, clay project. Uh, this representing 110 uh, holes, and the thing is, is every hole, uh, all of 110 holes had uh, uh, rare earth mineralization above cutoff uh, grades uh, uh, as represented in the assays. So we're talking about uh, thicknesses uh, pretty routinely here of 5 to 15 meters at grades over 1,000 ppm in total rare earths, which is very just a wonderful consistency of mineralization that we're seeing in these holes. And uh, just have to say they have another 66 holes, they say, uh, outstanding yet uh, at the lab to uh, report. But uh, if they're anywhere close to this good, this is uh, definitely encouraging. You love a good assay result, Paul. You get yes, so I do. <laughs> now, I'm also slightly intrigued by something you've been saying, which is you spotted uh, Piedmont Lithium, didn't you, back in the last week, talking about doubling its lithium hydroxide production. And your theory is that in order to do that, they've got to play with another Shanghai Mining Club uh, client of ours, uh, Atlantic Lithium, to get to those sort of levels. Just explain that, Paul. Yes, uh, they had announced, on, or Piedmont had announced on Thursday, that's NASDAQ-listed uh, developer of uh, lithium pegmatite in the United States. Uh, they have announced that uh, besides the 30,000 tons of per year of lithium hydroxide production for their Carolina lithium project, they want to double that yet again uh, with a second plant uh, and a site to be determined uh, such that they would have a capacity for 60,000 tons per year. Now, the issue is, is that there are some permitting delays already encountered uh, with the Carolina project, and they do have a Quebec uh, project as well that's not quite as far along. But if they're going to meet this kind of a target dates that they were looking for by uh, mid-decade uh, here for this 60,000 tons of capacity, uh, that does mean that the joint venture they have on the third project, which is the Iwoya pegmatite project with Atlantic uh, lithium uh, in Ghana, that feasibility study does have to be completed by this year in order to get the construction on the mine underway such that it's uh, supplying toward this uh, new plant capacity uh, by the middle of the decade. So it's uh, 
Piedmont is very is being very aggressive here on the timing, but it also indicates that they're ke very keen that uh, uh, all, all three other projects, and specifically the one with Atlantic Lithium, uh, fulfills the role that it needs to. I mean, Atlantic Lithium now at 38p. It's actually up 36 percent year to date. There aren't many stocks uh, that are up like that year to date, so it is proving to be a real winner. Um, but that's interesting news. I mean, whilst on uh, lithium also, um, you know, so much of the lithium in the world is controlled by the Chinese and Xijing Mining are putting more money, aren't they, down into Argentina to, buy, to build a, a lithium carbonate plant down there. And that, that's going to have quite an impact on the whole South American lithium mining scene, isn't it? Yes, it is. And that's just a demonstration, too, that the Chinese are pretty keen in order to control the raw material supply chain around the battery uh, materials and specifically around lithium as much as they can. The fact that they're moving some of this upstream uh, chemical processing plant uh, uh, capacity into Latin America in itself rather than just uh, bringing concentrates or brines back uh, into China for processing. And it also is a, a follow-on support for the automaker BYD, which had opened a battery plant in Brazil just in September of last year. So uh, there's definitely some uh, uh, consolidation of the uh, supply chain going on in Latin America. I mean, you've got consolidation, you've got the Chinese everywhere, and of course you've got potential of nationalization all over the place, and also restrictions on the amount of lithium being taken out potentially because they are a little bit worried aren't they that it's too much is taken out too quickly uh, yes does that worry you paul about the whole sort of lithium there's a lot of interesting lithium plays down in south america combination of all the various countries um how, how worried are you about all of those factors altogether uh, I have to say I'm not terribly worried about it. I'm more concerned about the fact that uh, the uh, the uh, governments of, uh, around the world have been uh, essentially moving too slowly uh, in order to get policy in place uh, to uh, get things moving as fast as uh, this needs to take place if the climate targets are to be reached. So it's it's not the availability of the lithium itself, it's the government policy in order to make sure it happens. Okay, uh, all right, well, what else would you like to mention this morning in the news, Paul? Uh, just in, in follow on on this Zijin story, it's also interesting too, because Zijin itself is not really a battery chemical company, it's a gold producer. <laughs> so it, it is also supported by the news out by Gazprom, uh, Russia's Gazprom today, that they're going to extract lithium from oil field brine uh, in uh, one of their large oil fields in Russia. But the important thing to demonstrate there, too, is that if uh, we still need new oil and gas fields to continue to be developed, and the reason being these wastewater brines from these fields do have usable chemicals in them like lithium. And the other thing is the reduction in pressure of these oil fields is such that you can pump the CO2 that we need to otherwise uh, take out of the air and sequester from our uh, industrial activity, we can pump that back down. So these are very useful, but we do need to allow oil and gas development to continue. No, I mean, it's, it's, it, it comes again, it's the whole lithium mar market, should we say, is, is rapidly uh, transforming to a certain extent from what it used to be. As demand for lithium grows and the price increases, you know, all these different ways of sourcing lithium 
suddenly come to light. I mean, it, you sometimes you, you wonder, is there a shortage of lithium or is there not a shortage of lithium? Uh, that is the, the question. And that was not a bit of Shakespeare. And, and this geologist says there's not the shortage of lithium, the element, there's a shortage of lithium to be delivered into the marketplace. And I think that is the answer. <laughs> uh, on that note, Paul, we've probably talked long enough, uh, unless you've got something bursting to tell us. I'm sure there'll be plenty more news as we come along during the week. Thank you. Very good. See you then.